Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Can you please go to Isaiah 5, 1 through 7? And Tommy doesn't got this messed up. Um, I have, this is the first time I've ever done this. Uh, I want us to look at two passages of Scripture this evening. I don't know if there's a rule against that for pastors. Um, I, I, I promise you this. It's a two-for-one deal, and I won't go longer than usual. So we got a deal? All right, that's okay. Um, let's turn to Isaiah 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. I came across these verses a couple months back in my uh, daily time in God's Word, and I was just like, wow. Uh, I noticed some unusual things here. First of all, it's a parable, and that's unusual because Isaiah is an Old Testament book of the Bible. And typically when we think of parables, we normally would think of the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels in the New Testament. Uh, who knows what a parable is? It's an earthly story with a a heavenly meeting, right? Uh, so God wants to communicate some spiritual, eternal truth to us. And in parables, he does it in a way that we can understand by using things from our day-to-day lives as an object lesson. And the other unusual thing is that uh, later on we'll be in John 15. In the book of John, Jesus really echoes this very same parable here in Isaiah chapter 5 with one of his own. So God tells us the same thing two different times. And I think when that happens, we be wise to pay attention to what God is saying. All right, so if you're there, Isaiah 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. It says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and he gathered out the stones thereof, and he planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the midst of it. He also made a wine press therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now, go to, I will tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, shall be trodden down, and I'll lay it waste. It shall not be pruned, nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression. For righteousness, but behold a cry. Let's pray. God, as we come to this section of scripture and the one we'll go to in just a little bit, uh, these, these two teachings, two parables you've given us, one in the Old Testament, one in the New um, we're, we're reminded here of all your goodness to us, all of your grace, what you've done in order to save us, redeem us, to connect us to Jesus Christ, uh, to provide for us to remain connected by abiding in Jesus Christ, the true vine. And God, we're also reminded that sometimes, um, just like your Old Testament people, Israel, even with everything you've done for us, we don't bring forth the fruit that you desire. And so I pray uh, through your word tonight that we be convicted of that. We would confess it, Lord, that we would uh, commit 
to making use of all these means of grace you give us in order to connect ourselves to Christ and then remain connected to him uh, so that we might bear fruit for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, in verse 1 here, there's well-beloved and beloved. It's mentioned a couple of times. Um, That's a reference to God. Isaiah says, let me sing a song about God, my beloved, my well-beloved. And we're told there that God has a vineyard. And um, twice, actually. And remember, this is a parable. So God's using the concept of a vineyard, a big, beautiful grape farm, something people would be very familiar with that in that culture. He's using that to teach you and I here, and the people this was originally written to, a spiritual truth. And we find out that here, God is the owner of the vineyard. Uh, Not just the owner, the parable tells us he's the farmer of the vineyard too. And I think we've addressed this before. There's a fancy French word for it. It's a vigneron. That's what it means to be a grape farmer. Um, But who's the vineyard? We got to jump down to verse 7 to find that out, to the end of the parable, to the end of this earthly story with the heavenly meaning. What does it say there? The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is what? It's a house of Israel. So the vineyard is God's people. And here in Isaiah, specifically God's Old Testament people, uh, Israel, but of course this parable here applies to the Christian, to God's New Testament people, the church just as much. And we're going to see that a little later in the echo uh, that Jesus has in John 15. So God is a farmer and God's people are the vineyard. Now let's go back to the end of verse 1 and see what God says about himself and his people. God planted his vineyard, it says, in a very fruitful hill. I mean, this is the perfect location. It's beautiful. Lots of sun, good soil. It is perfect. And let's read verse 2 again. It says, he fenced it and he gathered out the stones thereof. He planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst thereof. He also made a wine press there. And we'll pause there. So, so did God do everything that he possibly could to make this the most perfect place for his vineyard to thrive? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he picked the perfect spot. And then he got all the stones out. So he prepared the soil. He, he even protected it by putting a tower in the middle of it. Uh, to protect the vine, its fruit from threats from humans or animals that would try to come in and cause problems, he provided for it. And the end of verse 2 really gets to the whole point of the parable. It says that God also made a wine press therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes. Well, that's the whole point, right? If you're going to plant something, whether it's a grapevine or a garden, uh, I planted a garden. I had all these big ideas of stuff. I'm going to give them away to all of you, and a couple of you got some stuff because my garden did not bear good fruit, regardless of, of all the preparation I made. But that's the whole point. That's why God planted the vineyard. It's why he took such good care of it. He wants it to bring forth fruit. That's why God called us to be his people. That's why God saved us. That's why he cares for us the way he does. He wants us to bring forth fruit. But what happened? Did it? What's the end of verse 2 say? It brought forth fruit, but not what it was supposed to. It, it brought forth wild grapes. Now, we have a lot of vineyards around here, even some people in our church who grow grapes. Uh, they're so good. I went over to Corey and Jennifer's house last year. You remember that? And we walked there when it was right before grape harvest time, and they got these big ones. I mean, they're like the size of a jawbreaker, and they're so sweet, tasty. Um, last year, when I did that, I just saw a big contrast. I've got grapes, too. They grow wild behind my house. <laughs> And uh, they're about like that size, like a garden pea. And let me tell you, they're full of seeds and they're sour. And you can maybe make something with them. But they're not the same as what they have there. Or at Chris and Nicole's or at David and 
Tiffany Tatum's and Allen's. Uh, brought forth fruit, but not what they were supposed to. Wild grape vines. And um, God planted his vineyard, his, his people. He picked a perfect place for his people to bear good fruit. He prepared, he provided, he protected his people so they could bear good fruit. But what does it say they produce? Wild grapes, right? Wild grapes. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4 again. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, this is God speaking, men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard than I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked at it, it should forth, bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. So God asks his people here to think about this. And even us here tonight, he wants us to come up with a conclusion. Is there anything else that God could have done or should have done? The bearing of bad fruit, these wild grapes, are they, is it God's fault? No. No. Um, the implied answer is obviously no. The free will of his people is involved then and in for us here tonight. They chose to disregard and to devalue everything that God had done for them to enable them to produce good fruit. And in so doing, they brought forth bad fruit. So, so what is God to do? And we read verses 5 through 7 again. God says, now go to, I'll tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'm going to take away the hedge thereof. And it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof. And shall be trodden down. And I'll lay it waste. And it shall not be pruned or digged. But there shall come a briars and thorns. I'll also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is a house of Israel. And the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, good fruit. But behold, oppression, wild grapes. He looked for righteousness, good fruit. But all he got was a cry from those who were being sinned against and oppressed. And God says, I'm going to take away the protective hedge. See, all the owner, all, all the farmer must do is take away his protection, his provision, stop providing that kind of special care for the vineyard, and it's going to begin to experience some pretty terrible consequences. Now, the vineyard, God's people, they resisted his pruning, the care he provided, his digging, his weeding. They protested against it, and God says, fine, have your way. I won't do any of that anymore. See if, see if that's better. See if that is truly what you want. You know, God did that uh, to his people in the prophet Hosea's time. Tommy mentioned this on Sunday in Hosea in a last ditch effort to get his people in the tribe of Ephraim to repent and to turn to him after invitation after invitation and prophet after prophet, preaching after preaching. God told Hosea, uh, he told him not to even preach to that tribe. I mean, have you ever heard of such a thing? You're in a bad way when, when, when God gets to that point. The beautiful thing is none of us here tonight are there yet. Because God's still speaking to us through his word. It's time to listen and respond. In Hosea 4.17, God tells Hosea, Ephraim has joined himself to idols. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. God says, leave him alone. Hosea, don't even bother giving them my message. And I think that might be the most terrifying verse in all of the Bible. For God to, to remove his protection, uh, his providence, his preaching for them to return, all in a last-ditch effort to impact their heart, to impact our wills, so that we might just come to our senses and return to him. Why would God ever do something like that? Because he's loving and gracious. He will discipline his people like this at times with a purpose of correction, with a purpose of restoration, with a love and gracious purpose of, of reconnecting us to Jesus Christ. But man, what a terrible, completely unnecessary thing that is. What a painful experience for the Christian to have to endure when God's continuous calls 
for us to be connected to Christ and to stay connected to Christ when they go unheeded, they go disregarded. In God's great love and grace and mercy, Jesus echoed this parable. Let's go to John chapter 15. John 15, really pretty much the same parable here. Slight differences. We'll address them right at the beginning. John 15, 1 through 12. And here, Jesus invites us to live connected to him so that this is never our experience. <laughs> um, let's read it. 15, 1 through 12. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Here is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall ye be my disciples. As a Father loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you. That your joy, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus talks about being connected to him here. And one of the first things he talks about is being connected in our communication. How important it is that we're connected to Christ in our communication. There's some differences here. In Jesus' parable. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father's the husbandman. So, so God's still the owner. He's still the farmer here. But Jesus identifies himself, not God's people, but himself as the true vine, as the true vineyard. And so then what are God's people? Or, yeah, there you go. More branches. More branches off the true vine, Jesus Christ. That's what it says at the beginning of verse 5, right? And the point in Isaiah 5, and the point here in this parable that Jesus gives his disciples, it's the same thing. We must become connected to Christ, and we need to remain connected to Jesus Christ. And he teaches us here that we cannot become and remain connected to Christ without communicating with him. It's impossible. Impossible. Any other attempt is only going to result in bad fruit. It's only going to result in wild grapes. Uh, without a consistent communication between Jesus and us, between the Lord and us, uh, without a deep desire for that on our part, we're going to quickly become overgrown, uh, a feral vineyard. We'll bear wild grapes. We'll become withered branches, it talks about here. Jesus says in verse 2 that if a branch doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. And for those branches that do bear fruit, what does God do? God the farmer says he purges. He, he prunes them so that they'll bear more, more fruit. They're doing good. Let's get more fruit. Verse 3 tells us how God does that. How does God purge and prune? What are his clippers? It's God's word. Jesus says, through the word which I have spoken to, you're clean. Uh, in the Greek, same Greek word as prune and purge means clean. And now what we do, it's probably time for me to go purge and prune some azalea bushes, right? Clean them up. Need to clean them up. And the clippers that God uses is the word of God. So that Jesus Christ, the living word of God, he uses the Bible, the written word of God, to purge and to prune, to clean up the Christians so that we'll bear more and more fruit. 
The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to show us things in our life that, that don't belong in the life of a Jesus follower. Uh, not conducive to barren fruit. God uses his word to show us what it looks like to think like Jesus and to talk like Jesus and to live and to love like Jesus Christ. If we're going to be connected to Christ, that connection happens through communication. That's how it is in every relationship. Through you and I loving God's word and obeying God's word. To do that, you need to be in God's word, don't you? And consistently reading God's word. Anybody here have the whole thing memorized? Not me. (laughs) Not me. And so then we probably need to be regularly, regularly reminded of what God tells us here in order to be connected to Christ through communicating with him. This right here, this is how Jesus talks to you. Now he guides you uh, through circumstances, through open doors, but always in accordance with this, never in contradiction to it. This right here is the way that God speaks to you. It's how we communicate with him. Jesus said in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So his word is supposed to abide in us. And for that to happen, we need to abide in his word. You know what abide means? It means stay put. It means remain. Hang out there for a while. And of course, communication is not one-sided. It's not just you and I as Christians hearing God's word. It's also you and I talking to the Lord. Verse 7 continues. When his words abide in us, we'll ask what we will, and it will be done for us. I've heard this question before. It was given to Charles Spurgeon. What's more important, Bible reading or prayer? And Spurgeon answered with a question. He said, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? We, we both need both, right? All of us need, need to do both. Um, both are ways to be connected to Christ and communication. Jesus, who tells us uh, also here that we need to be connected in our conduct. Let's go Back to verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So why must we be connected to Christ? Because Jesus said here, without me, you can do nothing. <laughs> nothing. Now understand, you're going to walk out those doors here. Not long from now. And there's going to be people going to work, and driving home, and going shopping. They're, they're doing a lot, aren't they? They're, they're doing a lot. Um, they're not doing nothing. What Jesus means here is you're, you're going to do nothing of spiritual or, or eternal value without being connected to Christ, without abiding in Christ. He says you can do nothing that God asked you to do without being commu- uh, connected in communication. You, you can do nothing that God asked you to do. And, and really, we can do nothing. The individual who is keeping my heart beating right now is God. He will decide when that's supposed to stop. So, so, yeah, you know, we can't, I, I cannot preach, I cannot be your pastor without Jesus Christ, without being connected. I cannot tie my shoes without being connected to Jesus Christ. Literally, I cannot do nothing. I don't want to over-spiritualize it. That's what he's talking about here. But literally, we can do nothing. Your next breath comes from him. And from being connected to him. In our conduct, we cannot live as God asks us to do. We will not be able to experience the fullness of joy Jesus talked about here. I want, he said, I'm telling you these things because I want my joy to be in you and I, I want you to have a fullness of joy. That's why I'm telling you to be connected to me and how to be connected to me. You'll never experience that without being connected in our conduct. We, we won't be able to live in obedience to God and his will and his word for our lives. Our lives will be miserable. It's the testimony of too many professing Christians. And they wonder why it is. 
Verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Just as Jesus kept the Father's commandments and he abided in his love. So once we get that first thing down, once we're connected to Christ, once we're staying connected to Christ in communication, we're spending time consistently in God's word and prayer, then, then we can be connected to Christ in our conduct. Can't do it any other way. You, you cannot live like God asks you to live without being connected to Christ. And you living like Jesus? Isn't that the whole point? Isn't that God's whole purpose in connecting you to Christ in the first place? That's how you're going to bear good fruit. In fact, that is bearing good fruit. You living and thinking and talking, loving like Jesus Christ, being just like him. That's why God has saved us, Christian, to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ day by day, year by year. Hopefully, progressively, we are becoming, as we walk with Christ, we're becoming more and more like Jesus because we're connected to his word and he's changing things in our lives and we're connected in our conduct. He, the Holy Spirit's using God's word to transform our conduct just as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, what we think, how we think, what we say and what we do. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know, if you say, well, I'm a Christian, do you, do you know what that word means? Little Christ. You're like a little human reflection of, of Jesus. And when others see us, they're supposed to see Jesus. Do they? That only happen if there's a real connection to Christ in our conduct, in our lifestyle. Jesus asked his disciples this question in Luke 6, 46. He said, guys, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I tell you to do? It don't make any sense. Now, the Christians to follow Jesus. If we say, I follow Jesus Christ, we're to follow Jesus Christ. Live like him. Obey our Lord. Now, just one more thing I want to remind you of here about being connected to Christ can't do it alone. That's not God's design. It's not possible. You got to be connected to Christ by being connected in church. And you might say, Jason, where in the world are you getting that? That word is not even in any of these verses. Uh, the, no, the, but the truth is. The truth is here. First, let me ask you this. God is a farmer. Jesus is the true vine. Christians are branches off that vine. Are you the only branch? No, of course not. <laughs> You're not the only branch. I'm a branch. If you've been born again, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, you're a branch, so are you. You're a branch, so are you. We're all branches. If you're connected to Christ, you're also connected to others who are connected to Christ. You need to be. You can't be connected to Christ without being connected to those who are his. You can't be connected to Christ without being connected to other branches. Remember, what is God's purpose in his vineyard? In you, the branches of the true vine, Jesus Christ. What's the purpose? He wants you to bear fruit. What's fruit for? Is it for the branch? Is fruit for the vine? Fruit's for food. For us, for animals. Fruit's for others. In the fruit. What is in the fruit? Seeds. Even in bananas. I don't know, you probably don't see them, right? In fruit is seeds uh, for reproduction. Verse 8, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, and I, this is why I like, one reason I like the King James, I told you this before, here is my Father glorified that ye, that's plural, uh, plural you, like we say here, y'all. Herein is my Father glorified that y'all bear much fruit, so y'all shall be my disciples. Is the church here? Church is here. Verse 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that y'all love one another, another, as I have loved y'all. So yeah, Jesus is talking about the church here in this parable. He's talking about his people. He's telling us, you cannot be connected to me without being connected to others who are connected to me. 
And whether you want to turn there or just write this down, but if you don't, you should probably go there later today. That's why God tells us in Hebrews 10. God is speaking to Christians in the book of Hebrews who are, who are so um, struggling, being persecuted in, in a way none of us have ever experienced for their faith. Really strongly being tempted to just leave Christianity, go back to their old Jewish religion. Uh, God says in verse 23, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast. Don't do that. He says, hold fast to your profession of faith without wavering. Hold fast, Christian, to your faith without wavering. In verse 24, he says, let us consider one another. I mean, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be provoking one another to love and to good works. To being like Jesus, living like Jesus, loving like Jesus. And then, of course, you know verse 25. Not, meaning never. Never forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. It is a manner of some. Apparently, it was a manner of some back there in the early church in the first century. Sadly, it's a manner of many now. I know I'm preaching to a Wednesday night crowd. I really like was like, do I need to save this for a Sunday? Well, I think we need to be reminded as well. It's a manner of many now. How tragic. Because it's difficult, if not impossible, to be holding fast the profession of your faith without wavering, like we're commanded in verse 23. It's impossible to be connected to Christ and not be connected to his church. How important is it to be connected to Christ by being connected to his church? Verse 25 continues. Don't ever uh, forsake the assembly of yourselves together because you're supposed to be exhorting one another. And you're supposed to be doing all this so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? day when Jesus returns, day when Christ comes back. And I've told you before, look, I believe that day is near. I, when I penned this thing last week, I did not know what we know is happening right now over in Israel. Nothing. There's nothing holding it back. There's nothing that needs to be accomplished first before Jesus returns and raptures his church. There's nothing. Um, we need to be understanding that God's word teaches us about the imminency of Christ's return. It could come any moment, any moment. And uh, not having that mindset, it lulls us into complacency. God talks about that in Second Peter. He's like, there's going to be people that say, <laughs> come on. This is not the first time Israel's been at war. It isn't. I mean, my goodness, right? But I hear things on the news like this is the most serious thing that they've ever faced in the last 50 years. You know, and so many things have fallen into place. Uh, we say, well, you know, no man knows the day or the hour. 100%. That is from God's word. I'll never tell you the day or the hour because I don't know it. Jesus said, I don't know it. But what did Jesus give us? Signs, seasons. And he said, pay attention to these things. So that you understand the imminency of Christ's return. So that when I do come back, he'll find you watching. And he'll find you ready. And he'll find you thinking like Jesus and loving like Jesus and connected to Christ. And so many Christians are like, well, I mean, it's just that's how it always is. I ain't going to worry about it. And it lulls us into this complacency. In Matthew 24 and First and Second Thessalonians, Jesus said, you are not in darkness. Yeah, nobody knows the day or the hour. And yeah, it's going to come like a thief in the night. But Jesus said, you're not in darkness, Christian, that that day is going to overtake you like a, a thief. I've told you all these things. You should be ready. You should know when it's about to happen. 
nothing preventing tonight from being that day that verse 25 talks about. And as we move closer to that day, what does God tell us in his word there in Hebrews 10, 25? That we needed to be connected to Jesus Christ by being connected to his church so much more. Not less. <laughs> so much more. Coming together more. Being connected to the church, Christ's bride, more. And what you see, and from the last three or four decades, at least in the church in America, you see less and less and less. And sad, tragic, painful thing that the state of the church is just the opposite of what God commands here. There's Christians who profess to be connected to Christ, but who are doing what some of these people did. They're forsaking the assembly of themselves together. There's professing Christians who are assembling less, not more, as that day of Christ's return becomes more and more near. And they wonder why their lives are joyless. They wonder why the fruit that they're producing is wild grapes. Their life, their testimony sour. They act amazed because it seems like God isn't protecting, he isn't providing, I don't have a sense of his presence. What did he say there in Isaiah 5? <laughs> If you don't want me doing all this, have it your way. Maybe that's where we find yourself tonight. Again, I really doubt it on a Wednesday night crew. But even if that is, you know what's awesome? You have hope. You have hope because God has used his word tonight to invite you back, to invite you to return. He's not doing you like he did with Ephraim, leave him alone. He's told us tonight, reconnect with me. He hasn't said about us, leave him alone. He's calling to us this evening. He's saying, reconnect to my word. Don't you want to hear from me? Don't you want to hear from me? Reconnect in prayer. Will you obey his word tonight? Will you say, yeah, Lord, I will. I haven't been doing what I should have been doing as far as being connected to your word. So, so that I can be connected to Christ in my conduct, so that I actually live like a Christian, so that question never comes up, oh, you're a, you're a Christian? I want to think like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. I want, I want to live and love like Jesus Christ. When people see me, I don't even want them to see me. I want them to see Jesus. Can you tell the Lord that tonight? Maybe God's spoken to you about being connected to his church. It is a wonderful gift of God's grace to the Christian. This is where the vineyard, this is where the branches grow. This is where they become more like Christ. This is definitely where fruit is planted and taken care of and where fruit happens. Supposed to happen outside of here too. In this family where we serve each other, where we love each other, the world has nothing like this. It's nothing like this. Will you tell God tonight, I'm going to reconnect with you by reconnecting with this gift you've given me? Tommy, praise team, will you come up and lead us in a time to respond to God's word, to worship the Lord as we sing together?